You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident fanalist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore daddy broadcasting from the Vivid Seats studios. Use promo code overtime on the Vivid Seats mobile app to save up to $100 on all ticket purchases. First time customers only. Ladies and gentlemen, today is game day. Am I a little bit nervous? Yeah, maybe I'm a little bit nervous. Did I sleep poorly thinking about Packers and, and, and giant tacos and burritos? Yes, I did. I slept very poorly. And the term is super burrito, thank you very much. I'll try to remember to throw up a picture of that in the Facebook group, by the way, because it is my new favorite thing. It's pretty. It's basically you just take three burrito shells, lay them out, put all the stuff inside, and then just roll it up together, and it's one gigantic burrito. It's messy, gluttonous, and unnecessary, but maybe just leave me alone. Because it's game day. But it's going to be a, uh, it's going to be an interesting day. I feel like this is, this is different. First of all, at halftime, Sherry Starr is going to be out there. It's going to be a ceremony to um, to honor Bart Starr, so that's going to be huge. I have no doubt getting loud at Lambos is going to be... It's not going to be a problem during halftime. That's going to be pretty huge. Hopefully we can just figure it out when our defense is on third down. Speaking of, that's something else. And I'm, I'm actually, for the first time, starting to get confident that this is really going to change. And I know that there's people that have been dug in for years. And if you've been doing this, if you're a season ticket holder and you have been for 20 years, you got customs and traditions that you're just not going to be okay with. But I don't really care. A lot of people buy tickets that haven't been going there for a long time. A lot of people are going to buy in. And I just, I really like, I, I know there was like a little, like Get Loud Lambo was like a campaign, which basically just meant the Packers put up a thing on the Jumbotron that said Get Loud, and that was kind of lazy. You can tell that there is a definitive effort by Matt LaFleur, and maybe Gutekunst kind of pushed this as well, but Matt LaFleur came in and said, no, nah, it's not acceptable. He has been pushing hard. I mean, all through preseason, they're doing crazy stuff with flashing lights, and all kind, you know, they're, they're just trying to figure it out, and now... I guess Darius Smith uh, with the coach and maybe some other people, I don't know, they, they put a video together, which, I mean, let's be honest, it's probably just going to be like you, you see it, I don't know, basketball games or whatever, or football games. I don't know. I don't go to a lot of football games. But it's just going to be the players saying, let's get loud. And then it's, you know, I don't know. And I don't know if that's going to do anything. But maybe sometimes people just need to be reminded. Because he, here's the thing, as I'm watching this, and I, I get it because I'm not, I mean, I'm from Illinois originally. But the whole Midwest nice thing, I don't think that really goes over very well with making a lot of noise. I don't know what people in Minnesota are doing. I'm just saying, I'm, I'm kind of giving Packer fans another little bit of an excuse. It's it's not the easiest thing for us to be raucous and loud and crazy, right? We're polite. And if a group of people are sitting and the tradition is to sit, it's kind of hard to get that first person to be like, I don't care about the rest of you. I'm going to stand up in a relatively quiet area of people who are sitting nicely with their families and with grandma and, 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 you know, Grandpa Joe and, like, the little babies over here, like, so sweet and they're taking pictures and it's like a little camping event. And I'm going to be the really loud drunk guy that's just going to start screaming and, like, people look at me funny. Just saying there's a little bit of a, little bit of a hurdle to get over. This is a Midwest Nights kind of family event. And the funny thing is, when I look at 
the more the other end of the extreme, right? I posted something a long time ago. I might do it again just because I think it's absolutely awesome. But you look at these some of these soccer leagues where they literally have like giant flags and flares and they're going nuts and they got these songs and it's like the loudest, craziest thing you've ever heard in your life. To the point where I would be terrified if I heard that, like, in you know, I don't know. I, it, it feels like you're out at war. It gets you simultaneously pumped up and terrified at the same time. The difference is literally 100% of the demographic is like 18 to 35-year-old men. With the median age probably about like 24. They're all rip-roaring drunk and they're all very just rowdy people in general. Like, this is the culture. We get loud, we get rowdy, we get crazy. I mean, it's, you know, soccer hooligans is a term for a reason. And I'm just saying that the, the Wisconsin Midwest culture is almost the exact opposite of that. So we, we've got some hurdles to overcome, but I think we can gradually get there. Like, let's just encourage people to, I don't know, say yay and clap your hands or something. I don't, I don't know. I don't know what it is. But definitely the first step would be to at least explain to people that you now have an obligation to make some kind of noise. Or at the very least, if the person next to you chooses to do so, don't you dare tell them to stop. If you're too embarrassed to get up and start screaming, that's fine. Just sit there and let it happen. Encourage them. You go, Joe. You can do it with the scream in there. How about you, grandson? You want to you wanna jump around and clap your hands a little bit there? Or, I don't know. Just, just find out what your place is in this whole experience and just run with it. Maybe you supply the noisemakers. I don't know. When they're done cheering and sit down, ask them if they're hungry. You know, can I get you something to eat? But I think we're going to do this. I think it's going to happen. It's going to take some time, but it needs to happen because I'm thoroughly embarrassed. And I've said it before, and it sounds extreme, but I have a really hard time simultaneously saying we are the best fan base of all NFL teams while simultaneously um, we don't even have fans that cheer at their own stadium. The only other teams that experience that are teams whose fans just don't show up. What does that tell you? I mean, I'm, I'm literally embarrassed with all these articles coming out like, hey, they're, they're doing all these things to try to get people to cheer because they don't actually cheer at the games. Knowing that Vikings fans and Bears fans and Lions fans and Chiefs fans and all other fans around the world are reading that going, wait, what? What do you mean they don't cheer? What do they do? They just sit there? What do you mean a video? Let me see the video. Oh my goodness, they're literally just sitting there. This is third and one in the fourth quarter, and they're just sitting there watching like it's a movie theater movie? Dude, they are trash. That's what I envision in my mind. Like, people just discovered it. Because I just discovered this was a thing. I went to a game and got scolded and just was like, I guess this is what every fan base does. I guess everybody just sits quietly. That's surprising to me. Nope, just Packers fans. I know, I need to stop. with the. I, I wasn't intending to do this. I just wanted to tell you there's going to be a video. I just, I can't, I can't help it because it's upsetting. I mean, every team has a home field advantage because their fans freak out. We all know for a long time how much people hated going to Seattle because it was so loud. I mean, it it was the defense and, and Russell Wilson and everything too, but the loudness of that stadium was a massive negative for, uh, for everybody that went there. That is to say, we have a legitimate role on this team. That should excite you as a ticket purchaser. I don't understand the mentality of, well, I bought a ticket, I can do what I want. Don't you want to help the team win the game? Because as much as I'm comfortable and can see the game much better on my TV, which isn't even very big to begin with, but I still have a better view than you do, but with that ticket purchase, you actually have the opportunity to literally be a part of winning this game. 
When you're screaming so loud on third down and you see the quarterback have to cover his ears and he's looking around and he throws his hands up like, I can't hear you, and then they have to call a timeout, you literally just burnt their timeout. Not the Packers. Matt LaFleur didn't scheme a timeout. You in the stands. You just took away their timeout. On third down, when somebody wrong, runs a wrong route because it was a miscommunication because they can't hear anything, you did that. You caused that pick. You got the offense off the field. I think that's kind of awesome. Conversely, I don't want to be the person when it's very quiet and I'm sitting behind the Packers bench and the Packers turn around and start waving their arms up like, come on, please get loud. And he's staring at me, making literal eye contact with me saying, what are you doing? And I'm just sitting there staring at him going, I don't know. It's weird. It makes me uncomfortable. Then stay home. Listen, I I don't like being out in public. I don't like people either. I don't go to football games. Too many people. Not a people person. That's why I do a podcast. I sit in, the, sit in the dark by myself. This is how I communicate with thousands of people. I do it by not talking to literally any person. It's awesome. Too many people at a football game. i got to sit too close. i got to touch people. Hot dogs are $700,000. I can't see the game because it's a billion miles away. It's cold. There's literally a foot of ice on my chair. Literally a foot of ice. And then when I try to stand up because I cannot feel the back portion of my body, because it is frozen numb, because I stand up and I'm like, hey, it's third down, this would be a great opportunity, I'm going to stand up, because I'm freezing, and I can't even feel my toes even though I'm wearing seven layers of socks. People are like, no, sit in it. Stop helping the team and suffer. You don't, you don't want that, man. That's something else the players need to do, by the way. They all just need to turn around, say get loud, and just make eye contact with everybody. Just stare at people. That, that would just crush your soul as a Packer fan to have Aaron Rodgers turn around and stare at you just sitting there. <laughs> moving on. I promise I'm moving on. I'm getting off this. I just, I just want it really bad. Anyways, lots of other fun events. I'm guessing they're making a big deal out of it because it's uh, the 100th season because the Bears did the same thing with their opening night. Obviously, that didn't go very well, but having the 85 Bears show up, that's a huge deal. But uh, Brett Favre's going to be there. Lynn Dickey's going to be there. They're going to be signing autographs. Um, Amon Green is going to be there. Dave Robinson and Jerry Kramer are going to be there. Uh, you can see there's an article telling you where they're all going to be at. I'm, you know, whatever. If you're going to be there and you want to go check them out, just, you know, good. it's uh, Green Bay Press Gazette. Hannibal Navies and Mark Brunel are going to be taking part at fan activities at surprise locations. So keep an eye out for those guys. You might have to Google what Hannibal Navies or Mark Brunel look like. Um, but, uh, you know, if you see them, there you go. And other people that are apparently going to be around throughout the weekend, which would end today... Paul Horning, Bill Curry, Boyd Dowler, Carol Dale, Dave Robinson, Donnie Anderson, Jerry Kramer, Jim Grabowski, Ken Bowman, Marv Fleming, Chester Markle, uh, David Whitehurst, Ezra Johnson, a bunch of other guys. I guess Big and Rich were in Green Bay yesterday. I don't know who that is, but it's a, it's a big event, the homecoming on the 100th, I guess. So I'm hoping it's not uh, like the Bears did, a massive letdown. So, you know, let's get the fans revved up. Let's get the offense revved up. Let's keep the defense revved up and walk away from this game with a, another win because that would be fantastic. To be the only undefeated team after two weeks, that would be pretty great. This is also pretty tough. I know this is supposed to be the, the first part of the schedule is the easy part because there's a lot of home games. There's nothing easy about this. Hopefully Denver's going to be easy, but I think uh, Philadelphia is going to be really tough on Thursday. Then you got Dallas. I mean, we're talking Chicago, Minnesota, Denver, Philly, and Dallas. That is brutal. But if we beat the Vikings today, beat the Broncos next week, and even if we can split between the Eagles and Cowboys, we're talking about 4-1 and one going into a home game against the Lions and a home game against the, the Raiders. There's a very real opportunity here if we can just 
kind of hang in there and, and rev things up a little bit and just come out with a victory, like I said, even with sloppy victories, of being 6-1 and one going to see the Kansas City Chiefs on the road. And even if we lose to them and the Chargers, it's 6-3. and three, It's not the end of the world. Carolina Panthers look like garbage, 7-3. and three. Then we get a bye. Then we get the 49ers so far. They look like garbage, 8-3. and three. Giants are trash, 9-3. and three. Redskins are garbage, 10-3. and three. Then we just got to pull out, what, one win against the Bears, Vikings, and Lions? Bears at home? I mean, even if we lose to the Bears and Vikings and beat the Lions, it's an 11-win season. But there's a lot of iffy games. Minnesota is one of them. In the last three weeks, Chicago, Vi- the, uh, the Bears, the Vikings, and the Lions, those are kind of those iffy games. Even Detroit at home is not a guarantee. So it's games like these that make a big difference, right? The, the Raiders and, and, you know, the Giants, the, these are games that you, you absolutely have to win. There's games that you kind of look at and go, Gugh. Chiefs on the road. I mean, obviously, I'm going to root for the Packers, but I don't think they're going to be the favorites. Hopefully, Aaron Rodgers and the Packers offense. I, I think that's going to be the marker, right? I, I talk about how things start off slow and, and you kind of need things to kick in at the right time. Sunday, October 27th is when we kind of need the offense to get going here. Because if the offense isn't going by that time, there's, there's nothing really left that we can hope for in terms of beating the Chiefs. Because the Chiefs, as good as the defense may be, they're going to score a lot of points. That's a very good offense. Defense is a different issue. It is arguably the worst defense we're going to face all year. Well, I probably would lose that argument. The Giants are probably worse. Redskins might be worse. There's, there's probably worse ones. But depending on what you think of the Oakland Raiders' defense, I mean, the Bears, Vikings, the Broncos, the Eagles, the Cowboys, the Lions, they have better defenses, in my opinion, yes, I said the Lions, than the Chiefs. But again, I'm assuming that the Packers' offense is starting to look like the Packers' offense again, and that's when it absolutely has to. But, you know, not to put too much of an emphasis on on a Week 2 game, but these are the games. These are the ones kind of like, you know, Washington last year, where it's like, it's not going to be a walk in the park, but we kind of need to win this one. And then we didn't, and it really was a problem. However, there's something I've been I've been wanting to mention that I, I completely forgot, and I haven't really heard anyone else. I'm sure somebody's mentioned it at some point, but um, I actually think it's pretty staggering. As bad as the Packers were last year, do you know what our home record was? It was 5-2-1. and one. It doesn't sound all that impressive, but we won six games. The two losses we had at home came at the end of the season when it was just absolutely over. The Arizona Cardinals loss was at home, and that was the week that, that Mike McCarthy got fired because enough is enough. And the Detroit Lions came and beat us 31 to nothing in the final week of the season when everybody had completely given up. Prior to that, we beat the Bears, we beat the Bills, we beat the 49ers, the Dolphins, the Falcons, and the Jets. Not the, the or excuse me, not the Jets, the, uh, or, and then we tied the Vikings. I should change the way this is sorted to make it easier. Beat the Bears, Bills... 49ers, Dolphins, Falcons, tied the Vikings, and then lost those last two games. Not exactly the hardest schedule in the world, but still, we beat the Bears, and we tied the Vikings. And, and again, this is last year. We, we, you, know, you keep hearing from Bears and Vikings fans who want to talk about the Packers like it's still the 2018 Packers. I don't know that the offense is fixed. I have no idea. But that garbage, pathetic, terrible offense from last year tied your team in Lambeau with a garbage, terrible defense. We don't have a garbage, terrible defense anymore, and we also don't have the same antiquated offensive scheme that Mike Zimmer has been able to key in on that every, literally every defensive coordinator in the NFL knows how to play. The same scheme that your offense is now running because it is a better offense. That is now the Green Bay Packers. And again, I don't know that the offense is going to be much better than the last time you played them, but the defense definitely is going to be. And your team could only tie us at home. So I, I just, I don't, I don't get where the, uh, the bravado would be coming from. Even some of the losses, I mean, the Vikings beat the, the, 
the Packers when they were at home 17 to 24. Again, this Packers team in 2018 was really, 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 really bad. Offensively and defensively. We're talking about seven points. The same with the Bears, to be honest. The, the Chicago Bears beat us in Chicago by the exact same score, 17 to 24. That's not that impressive. The Seattle Seahawks beat us by three points. The Rams beat us by two points. The only real convincing wins were the Patriots in Foxborough annihilated us 31 to 17. And the Redskins beat us 31-7, well, same thing, 31-17. What is up with the same scores? And then obviously the Detroit Lions 31-0. I mean, even the Arizona Cardinals, we, we lost by three. So it, it, it it's almost, in a way, very similar to what happened to the Bears in 2017, right? The Bears in 2017, everybody said was trash, except their defense was looking real good. And all the games they lost were by like three-ish points. Right, not not all of them, but a lot of those games were really close, right down to the wire. They just couldn't quite close. Then in 2018, they start winning those games. So you know, to be completely honest, what do the Packers need to do to be just a play? I'm not talking about to be a you know the best team in the NFL, but to be playoff caliber. I mean, can we swing seven points? Can we improve the offense and defense enough to swing seven points? If that's the case, we lose to the Patriots. We lose to the Lions twice. That's three. We lose to the Redskins. That's four. That's it. I mean, seven-point swing is a lot, but I'm just I'm I'm expecting a pretty big change here. And I guess the only reason I'm kind of bringing this up, aside from kind of giving you the obvious that the Packers are really good at home, even when they're really bad, is that this game kind of feels daunting. And in my mind, you know, if if this team hasn't improved massively, the Vikings are going to steamroll us. But we're we're kind of forgetting two things. Number one, the Packers don't need to be 2011 all over again just to beat teams again. Number two, we don't know that the Vikings are any good. The Vikings weren't that great last year, and as I, I, I posted the video, by the way, in the Pack Daddy Premium group of the breakdown of the Vikings and Falcons game, not that impressed with the Vikings. I mean, certain certain facets, I do think they have a, a, a disciplined defense, which is, you know, 50% of the battle at least. Knowing what you're supposed to do, making good decisions after the ball is snapped, and then just executing, I mean, that's that's probably well over 50%. Actually being a good football player comes after that, right? Just not getting beat. But if you can just, you know... Know your job, make good decisions, and execute when the play is in front of you. Minimum 50% of your job, and the Vikings do that very well. But the point is, the, the Vikings were not that much better of a team last year when the Packers were just terrible. And I don't want to redo what I did yesterday, but it, it really, in my mind, largely just comes down to the defense just needs to continue to play well. The offense just needs to be better. If that happens, I'm not worried. In Lambeau, not worried. And it is absolutely to our benefit to have these early games at home if we assume that what happened last year kind of carries over, because even if the team isn't quite 100%, Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers in Lambeau, maybe the, the Vikings are the better team, but we get that home field advantage and squeak out a win. Maybe maybe the Eagles are a better team, but if we can squeak out a win there, it's not a bad thing. Because later in the season, if we can assume that the Packers kind of get into a rhythm and all of a sudden we got like a playoff caliber offense to complement our playoff caliber defense, suddenly the Vikings on the road become beatable. And then also to our benefit, uh, second half of the year we got to play the Bears again, but it's in Lambeau. So even if the Bears kind of ramp it up and they're suddenly the better team between the two, well, you're not going to win because it's in Lambeau. So I, I, you know, again, I love the way that this, this schedule is playing out so far, but these are pivotal games that we have to win because it just it just kind of shifts it. Is this going to be a team that's kind of nine ten wins, or is this going to be be a team that's kind of eleven ish, you know, eleven ish wins? The Minnesota Vikings at home week two are the, are the, the swing games. 
I don't even think we've taken a break yet. Why don't we take our first break, and then I want to talk a little bit more about uh, this matchup, and then uh, we'll probably take a second break and then look at uh, other games going on around the NFL. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. So yesterday, I kind of gave my overall keys to the game as far as, you know, make sure that we can't let Dalvin Cook get to the outside. The Vikings basically won because they, they found one thing that they could do repeatedly and just broke this thing open. That and a bunch of turnovers that just gave the, the Vikings an easy field. But if we can kind of force it inside and just stuff up the run and force them to pass, that's going to work to our advantage. One thing I didn't really touch on is the fact that that's just half the battle. Because I think what they're probably much better at is is throwing the ball as much as that's not what... You know, the, the, there's a ton of stats, right? When the Vikings run the ball 25 times or more, they're they're like you know 19 and 0. When they run for over 100 yards, they're like 18 and 1 or whatever. So they they want to run the ball, and they're very successful when they run the ball. But they're really really scary uh, throwing the ball, and that actually scares me more than running the ball. It's just for me, if we allow them to run the ball, we're doomed. If we can't stop that, we're in a lot of trouble because we know already they can throw the ball successfully. So we got to at least make them one-dimensional and, and say you're not going to run the ball. That's 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 ground zero. The question is, though, and, and what really is going to make a big difference is what in the world are we going to do to stop the pass? Now, I saw Brett Coleman's video, which I posted in the Facebook group. By the way, Facebook group, I'm no longer approving um, stuff, so please try to be mindful that the rules for the podcast apply in there. Keep it relevant and try to keep it somewhat family-friendly. Because um, I'm trusting you guys to do the right thing, and if you don't, I'm just going to kick you out of the group. You know, I mean, I'll give you a warning or whatever, but just just don't be dumb. But I also understand that last time there was a Packer game, there were like 75,000 posts that needed approval, and I didn't get it until like an hour or two after the game, and then they were entirely not relevant. So feel free to post it, Will. You don't have to worry about approvals and uh, me not getting to it quick enough or whatever. But anyways, I posted the Brett Coleman video, and he kind of talked about um, Alexander on Stephon Diggs and Kevin King maybe on Adam Thielen. I, I just kind of, I'm not sure that's how this is going to work. And I guess it kind of depends how the Vikings want to do this. Um, Chad Beebe has kind of stepped up as, as being the, the number three, and, and that's something they haven't had in a while. He actually graded out by PFF better than Diggs. So Beebe kind of seems like a legitimate target at this point. 
I don't think he's an elite player. I'm, I'm more than comfortable with Tremont Williams covering him up. But th this is just sort of the baseline. And obviously, you know, when, when you have Tony Brown and Allen Robinson, you understand that these things rotate. And different things, different alignments, different things are going to happen. It's never going to be 100% this way. This guy's on this guy the whole time. That's not how the NFL works. Well, sometimes it's called shadowing, but, you know, not very often. But primarily the way that I would kind of do this, and it really just depends what we think, but I, I really think that Thielen has separated himself as um, the number one and by far on this team, which is saying a lot because I really think Stephon Diggs is a really good wide receiver. With that, I'm not putting Alexander... Well, there, there's two ways to do this. One would be to put Kevin King on Adam Thielen and kind of draw extra coverage to that side, which is how we're going to try to take away... Adam Thielen. That is to say, essentially double-team Adam Thielen. Then you put Jair Alexander on Stephon Diggs, which I think is a, is a pretty solid matchup for us. And then Tremont Williams on Chad Beebe. I, I think that's probably going to be the best-case scenario. Now, is Kevin King going to be full go, or are we still putting um, Tony Brown out there? And obviously, double-teaming a guy is not going to be every single snap. There are going to be times when we want to use the safety for something else, and times when guys are going to have to step up and say, look, you're on your own. I mean, we got single high up there, just in case things get wildly out of control, but this is on you. And maybe in those situations, you put Alexander on Thielen. But, I mean, this this is, last week, I think it was a, a tremendous effort from the guys up front. And that's going to be pretty massive as well, because that's what, that extra bit of pressure is what kind of took away a lot of their, their passing stuff, especially routes deep down the field. And I think the Packers are okay with kind of giving them those three to four to five yards or whatever, because the idea is, Let's just keep them chipping down the field because eventually we're going to get that sack. We're going to get that play that we need, and we're going to get this ball back. So if, if you're going to choose not to go 15 yards down the field but are going to throw it to the guy three yards down the field, we'll, we'll let you have that. And pass rush is going to be one of those things where if he's got to get the ball out quick, you're not going to get it that far down the field. But beyond that, I, I really think the secondary is going to have to step up. This is, you know, all due respect to Allen Robinson, this is just a different animal. I think Thielen is a better wide receiver than Allen Robinson. I think Stephon Diggs is probably a better uh, wide receiver than Allen Robinson. But again, the big reason I emphasize the run is because by making them one-dimensional, essentially you're allowed to tee off on them. You bring a lot of pressure against this garbage offensive line. You force errant passes, which gives us opportunities for picks. You force shallow passes, which is not an efficient way to get down the field because eventually you're going to mess something up. And, and by doing that, you suffocate them to the point where they're going to get some passes, Thielen's going to get some receptions and everything else, but we want to get to the point where running the ball is just ineffective. And the best way to do that is to just win with the guys up front. If we've got to load up the box, if we have to have five, six men up at the line of scrimmage to be able to stop the run, that puts extra emphasis or strain on our secondary. If we can do what we did last week and essentially just have one linebacker in and that's enough because we want to have essentially... Um, you know, five guys at the line of scrimmage and have five guys in the secondary, or obviously even better would be to have a four-man front, six guys in the secondary, which is dollar defense, which the Packers have employed and may do again, which by the way, my favorite front by far, and I'm not opposed to putting another lineman in there, but it's uh, Kenny Clark with Rashawn Gary, Preston, and Zadarius Smith. Absolutely love that front. No, I don't know that you're going to get an extra guy with that group because essentially if you need three linemen, well, yeah, yeah you could. The extra guy would be a, an, in, an interior guy, though. It wouldn't be like Fackrell. If you get, for example, Montrevious or you know Dean Lowry with Kenny Clark and Zadarius down, Rashawn and Preston up, yeah, dude. Yeah, let's do that. 
I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't know, and it's, it's awesome because we have options, and that's exactly why having a, a dominant front like this is so beneficial because you can start with dollar defense, and if that's not quite good enough, in other words, four guys at the line, one linebacker, three corners and three safeties, that's dollar defense. If that's not quite doing it, maybe we substitute Raven Green with B.J. Goodson, right? Bring that extra linebacker in. But you, you, you can start from one extreme because if, if that works... If we can go dollar defense and contain the run, you're done. You're just, you're done. But you start with protecting the pass because that's the most lethal and you see if we can stop the run. And if we can't, then we'll start to bulk up a little bit and try to put a little bit more emphasis on our corners and safeties to say, look, we need some help up front. We're going to, we're going to stop the run. We're going to bring extra pressure. We're going to tear, because I mean, at the same time, it's going to be like, you know, you, you did this to yourself. You're forcing us to load up the box. We're going to bring extra people. We're going to hurt your quarterback. That's just the way it is. You did this to yourself. But now we got to get a little bit more emphasis on the, the secondary. So it's it's going to be harder, obviously, than what the Bears gave us. But again, I really do think it starts with the run. Because if they're able to run, I think we're in trouble. Because we know they can pass. Cousins isn't the greatest quarterback in the world, but the dude can throw a dime. Maybe not every time, but on occasion. And, and he's been real efficient with guys like Thielen, even with that half a step of separation, to get that ball just you know up and away just to where Thielen can get it and he just takes off. So we're, we're going to need effort from everybody. Unfortunately, that's what we saw last week. There, there was primarily the guys up front getting it done. I watched a little bit of Blake Martinez. I was not super impressed, um, you know, comparing it to what I saw the Vikings uh, do and to what especially I saw the Bears do against the run. I, just to try to get an idea, not the most impressed in the world. I mean, he, he did have a, you know, a below average run defense grade as well as a below average coverage grade, and I believe that because that's kind of what I saw. But he can be better. Hopefully, he will be better. And hopefully, if we get B.J. Goodson in, we can get a little bit more um, of that if need be. Here's the thing, though. I think on the flip side, it's almost the exact same thing. I think the Packers really, really had a hard time running the ball. I think the Vikings are going to kind of look at it the same way. If you take away the ability to throw the ball, the Packers are doomed. We've seen that since forever. Since since forever, not just last year when things were struggling, when really good defenses took away the ability to throw the ball from Aaron Rodgers, we lose the game almost every time. I remember, for some reason, this game sticks out in my head. It was, I don't even know when. It was a long time ago. It was up against the Buffalo Bills, who were a terrible team, but had a good defense. And I remember going into that game saying, I don't know that we win this game because the defense is so good. And essentially, that's what it was. They they frustrated, the, they suffocated our offense to the point where Aaron Rodgers just couldn't complete a pass. And we did lose that game, and it was a massive fluke. But I kind of saw it coming. I think that's that's the starting point. I think their their goal is to say we're we're going to make sure you can't run the ball and offensively we have to be able to. And I think we were pretty close to on a, on a few occasions. I, I just think the Bears defense was so quick and just closing those holes just fast enough. Right, Aaron Jones is just about to slip through and they they you know they filled that void. I think it's going to be tough to run against this team, but not impossible. Uh, last year the Minnesota Vikings. I mean the NFC North in general is just ridiculous. The Packers are the only team that really was not very good against run against the run. The the Bears had the number one run defense last year. The Lions were sixth and the Vikings were seventh. So in the division it's going to be tough to run the ball, especially when our offensive line is not very good at run blocking, which everyone insists is not a big deal, and I wildly disagree with that. And uh, they're also learning a new scheme, which makes things a little bit more difficult. But I just think if we can't run the ball, it's, it's almost the exact same situation, and, and maybe to a larger degree, because we've seen the... This is another thing that bothers me, is we look at it and say, well, you know, teams are just teeing off on Devontae There's a lot of teams that have good quarterbacks and or good wide receivers, and they overcome defenses. The Packers just can't. When, when teams just tee off on Devontae Adams, it's game over. I don't know if it's just that our other wide receivers are that bad, 
or if Rodgers just refuses to throw to him or what exactly the problem is, but it, it almost seems really, really easy to beat the Packers offense. Double Devontae, stop the run, it's game over. And I really think that's something that needs to be overcome because they, they are going to tee off on the run. They're going to double Devontae. And, you know, again, if that's all it takes to beat the Packers, we're, we're, we're not going to do very well this year. We have to utilize guys like Jimmy Graham. We got to get the running backs in the passing game. We got to get guys like Danny Vitale out running routes. We got to get Allison. We got to get Scantling. We got to get all these guys doing stuff in which they're catching passes. And if that means just quick little out routes for three to four to five yards, just take it. Force them to adjust. We got to stop this Mike McCarthy mentality of, well, we're just going to beat it. No, force them to change. Again, the, the whole philosophy that I have for the Packers is we start with this kind of defense, and if it works, we win. Mike McCarthy never even tried to take them out of that mentality. Like, fine, let's let them stay in there, and we're just going to beat them like that. No, dude. Beat that doing something that you didn't plan on doing. Then they have to change. Then you can go back to doing what you wanted to do. But um, I, I really think establishing the run is going to be important for both teams right out of the gate. And, you know, I mean, if we can come out and just pass and beat their guys, um, that's awesome. And I think that's going to be a big emphasis for me because I didn't really do it this past week. Um, Just seeing what exactly is going on with the passing game because I, you know, I have theories just like everybody else has, but I haven't actually sat and watched what's going on. You know, is it Rodgers? Is it the receivers? What what is going on? You know, again, according to PFF, it was absolutely on the wide receivers. Devontae and, and Aaron Rodgers had very, very, very good grades. The other guys did not. Week one, Aaron Rodgers had a bad grade, which is actually somewhat encouraging because then you look at it and say, well, is the scheme actually going to help? Well, maybe it is, but Aaron Rodgers just isn't doing great right now. What happens when Aaron Rodgers gets back to form, right? I mean, what, what, what does week one look like if Aaron Rodgers played at an elite level as opposed to a subpar level, if he, if he wasn't performing at a bottom 10 quarterback level? Which again, according to PFF, I didn't watch the film they did. He was playing at a, at a fantastic level last year, and all the issues were not his problem. Beyond that, our entire offensive line was graded poorly, which, you know, maybe has to do with it being week one. Maybe it has to do with new scheme. Maybe it just has to do with Bears defense. But again, I asked the question, Devontae had an average grade, probably because he was double and triple teamed all night. What does this offense look like when we get back to seeing Bakhtiari graded as the number one tackle in, in the NFL and, and Balaga and, and Lindsley and Adams and Rodgers and Aaron Jones? And we, we've already got Jimmy Graham having one of his best games and nobody's really talking about it. He's, he's right out of the gate like, oh, this is much better. I, I'm digging this. I don't know. But I'm, what I'm saying is there's, there's a lot of potential that this thing's about to break wide open. Because even though last week looked a lot like last year, there's a difference. And there's a reason to believe that, um, you know, we're, 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 again, we're, we're yet to see Rodgers and Adams and Bakhtiari and Balaga and Lindsley really kind of turn the corner that we should expect them to turn. We should expect that production to skyrocket. And again, the question is, what does the offense look like when that happens? And was that primarily just because of the Bears' defense? Because if it was, we could see it as early as, oh, I don't know, uh, five hours. At least for me, it's 7 o'clock. So, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm excited because I do expect that change to happen. I hope it happens today. But again, my, my goal for today is very similar to week one. Um, I expect it to be at least a month for most teams to be in, in, you know, kind of regular season form. So I do expect some sloppiness. But again, this is just a matter just win the game. Just find a way. If we come out, we can't run the ball. We're having trouble throwing the ball. We can't stop there. Whatever. Don't stop. Keep grinding. Keep adjusting. Keep finding a way. The game's not over till it's over. Keep plucking away at this. Find a way to win this game any way possible. It doesn't matter if it's sloppy. We're taking a step. Again, th- this is just one of those games that it, that we just got to flip in our favor. 
Because down the line, the offense is going to get better. Down the line, the defense is going to get better. The offensive line, the quarterback, everybody's going to be getting better. And also we're going to have some gimme games. We're going to have a, just find a way to beat this team this week. Because really at the end of the day, it may just come down to which team is more disciplined, which team makes less mistakes. That's kind of what the Bears game was. You have two defenses that are just in, in peak condition, peak form. And it was a matter of which offense can, can just do one drive. And the Packers mustered one drive and that won the game. Just make less mistakes than they do. Let's take our second break and quickly look at a few other games. We won't go through all of them, but just the relevant ones, and uh, we'll get out of here because we got, uh, you know, we got some football going on today. So let us start with Chargers-Lions. We'll start with the most relevant and kind of work our way out and call it quits when we feel like calling it quits. Both of these other division games have me really, really torn. On one hand, I look at it and say the Chargers are a much better team. On the other hand, they've got a lot of deficiencies, and they've got a lot of injuries. Hunter Henry is out of this game. That's kind of a big deal. Beyond that, guys that are just out-out, Russell Okung, their tackle, Derwin James, I mean, that's massive. He's on IR. I mean, as far as, as super big impact, those are maybe the only ones. But just, and again, I'm going to be doing this all year, and I really hope the Packers can be somewhat healthy. The injuries are going to come, but just as minimal as possible. But again, the idea that we're the most injured team, let's just look at this. Their, their elite tight end is out. Michael Davis is doubtful. They have seven people listed as questionable, including guys like Denzel Perryman, who is their starting linebacker, uh, Mike Williams, who is their wide receiver, very, very important piece of their offense, and they have eight players currently on IR. It's week two. They have eight players on IR. Probably their best player on defense, or at least one of their best players on defense, Derwin James, is out. That's, that's ridiculous. The Lions, on the other hand, they've got four guys on IR. Nobody's super important. It's probably not the nicest way to say that. But uh, Austin Bryant, who was their edge rusher that they just drafted, I don't think is very good. Uh, Jermaine Curse at wide receiver, maybe kind of relevant. Um, otherwise, they've got three guys questionable. Probably all of them are going to play um, somewhat big, high-impact guys, though. Deshaun Hand has an elbow injury. Taylor Decker has a back injury. And Gerard Davis has an ankle injury. All three are starters. Either way, um, first of all, I would expect them to get this run game going a little bit. They're off. Here's the other thing to keep in mind. I mentioned how important offensive line is. Nobody wants to talk about it. I think it's it's unbelievably important. Both teams are going to struggle with that. The difference is the um, Los Angeles Chargers had a really, really good outing as far as running the ball. Austin Eckler looks phenomenal. So despite the injuries, they still have a really good run game, and they still have Keenan Allen, who is an unbelievable player, and I think is just going to dominate. I know Darius Slay, there's a lot of hype about him. Um, I think it's overhyped to be honest but you know he's good I'll acknowledge that Keenan Allen's going to rip his face off he also is one of those guys that in three wide receiver sets goes into the slot I don't believe Slay follows into the slot that's where Justin Coleman comes in who's a guy they just picked up from Seattle Keenan Allen is going to destroy him the other issue for Detroit they have a very very stacked front most of these guys are run defenders now Trey Flowers is a pretty good pass rusher and he's got a really easy matchup especially if their tackle is out but if he's in that could be a problem because if Philip Rivers can sit back and pick this defense apart, which shouldn't be all that hard, you know, again, Tracy Walker, somebody I mentioned, really need to keep an eye on because he seems like he's going to be a really good safety. He's off to a fantastic start once again. However, that's kind of it. I really think this trio of Keenan Allen and Mike Williams and Travis Benjamin, although, you know, Williams and Benjamin haven't been all that great, I think that trio is going to be good enough to beat this secondary. And again, it's it's really going to come down to can Austin Eckler tear this defense apart, and I, I think they're going to have some success with it. On the flip side, again, the the problem for Detroit is going to be the ability to block. And and Rick Wagner, 
um, you know, decent but not. There's a lot of decent but not great, and the problem is they're going up against like guys like um, Joey Bosa and uh, Melvin Ingram, who is a really really good player. I mean, Melvin Ingram's been a little bit more up and down, but uh, you know, Bosa's no joke, obviously. And then they're going to have to, not only are they going to have guys teeing off on Stafford, they're going to have to find a way to distribute the ball with guys like Desmond King and Casey Hayward. Not impossible, but I, I am going to give the slight edge to the Chargers. It is in Detroit, which does not work in their favor. It looks like the spread is, is basically exactly what I'm saying. I just checked it now. Chargers are minus one and a half. Um, that sounds good to me. But um, I think it'll be a, t- a tough game. And, and the bottom line is, I mean, the, listen... Detroit almost lost to Arizona. Arizona is, I'm just i am just not buying it. I'm sorry. Maybe they're the real deal, but how did they blow that game? The Chargers are a legitimate contender. I mean, if they had their guys back, if they were much more healthy, I would believe in them a lot more. But this is a premier quarterback. This is a guy with a premier wide receiver. They have a phenomenal running back. They've got some great guys in the secondary. They got one of the top pass rushers in the game, and they're going up against the Lions. I'm, I'm going Chargers, man. I think they're going to be 0-1-1 after this. The other game, Bears, Bron- uh, Broncos, I've gone back and forth a thousand times. Uh, Bears are definitely going to win. Broncos are going to win. It's just, it, I, I can't stop going back and forth. Essentially, what we have is a question, first of all, what is Denver's defense going to be able to do to Chicago? That's that's sort of where I'm starting with this, because it's, it's kind of shaping up to be similar to what Chicago faced last week, whereas Chicago can't do anything offensively because they're going up against a pretty good defense. Again, we're assuming Denver kind of steps it up because they weren't all that great. They need to be better. But even then, if Denver's offense doesn't look all that fantastic, um, it's, it's kind of the same thing, right? It's, it's going to be a low-scoring game where defense dominates, and it's a matter of which offense can cobble together something. Here's the thing. I think Flacco's, at this stage of his career, underrated. He was clearly overrated for years. I got on him so hard, or not on him, but people so hard because, you know, he won a Super Bowl and all this. It's like, he's so bad. Now it's to the point where he's seen as incompetent, and I just think that's unfair. I think he's a guy that can, can move an offense. And the fact of the matter is, Cortland Sutton was absolutely dominant in his first performance, and it's his second year. I've stated several times, I think Emmanuel Sanders is still a very good wide receiver. Philip Lindsay didn't have the greatest outing in the world. He may not again after the Bears, but he is a good running back. I mean, he was graded higher than Aaron Jones last year. Um, Dalton Reisner, who they just drafted, had a phen- he was one of the highest graded um, rookies. He had a phenomenal outing. They kicked him inside the left guard. It's not going to be easy for the, the Denver Broncos, but... The fact that it's in Denver, they have a really good home field advantage. That high altitude really messes with people. Vic Fangio's familiarity with the Bears, not only do they does he know the weaknesses of the Bears' defense, which isn't much, right? It's not like he's going to be some mastermind like, I know how to beat him easily. No, it's going to be a serious challenge. But if there's issues, he knows what they are. But he also understands the offense. He understands the weaknesses of Trubisky. He watched it all year. He was in those meetings with the coaches. He knows what to throw at him. And, and let's not forget the weapons that he has available to him namely Von Miller, who I've said consistently, is on the level of Khalil Mack, if not better. He is, you talk about underrated, Khalil Mack, everyone acknowledges, everyone talks about how dominant he is, and he is. Von Miller gets none of that love. Von Miller is going to tee off on this offensive line. On the other side, you've got Bradley Chubb, um, somewhat of a disappointment considering where he was drafted, but he did have like 12, 13 sacks last year. He's more than capable. Chris Harris Jr. at corner is, is one of the best in the game. Just lock him down on Allen Robinson, and it's game over. So, you know, at the very least, I would expect similar production from them that you saw from the Packers. And again, this isn't in Chicago. They don't have the same home field advantage, the crowd going wild, all that stuff. None of that. You're going to have Denver fans going wild. You're going to have the altitude. You're going to have a guy that knows your playbook. 
So I, I, I think I am going to settle on the Denver Broncos win, even though I do tend to think Chicago is going to be a better team. I think Denver, one of the problems they have, I'm glad that they took Vic Fangio away. I just don't think that usually works very well, taking a defensive-minded coach like that and putting him over there. Um, beyond that, one of the things I loved about Vic Fangio was how impressive he was in his abilities to slowly build that Bears defense. I mean, that took like three years to get him to where they are. I mean, it, guys just slow progression over the years getting better and better and better and this past year was just sort of like that peak level that's when everybody reached their full potential I don't know that I can expect Denver to just be elite in in week two a lot of complexity to that defense but um and and again it's it's basically 50 50 in my mind but I am going to go Denver if that's the case I mean if everything goes the way that I hope it goes the Packers are going to be two and oh the Vikings are going to be one and one uh, the Lions are going to be 0-1-1, and the Bears are going to be last in the division at 0-2, which is just, it's going to be awesome, especially since Denver is one of the, you know, we, we uh, everybody in the NFC North has very similar opponents because that's how the schedule is made. This is one of the easier teams to beat. I just think matchup-wise it's going to be tough. Not that it doesn't present challenges because Vic Fangio's there and the defense is good for everybody. But specifically for the Bears, specifically for the reason that that offense is going to have a, is, is the worst offense in the NFC North, and having a good enough defense, it's just a matter of is that offense good enough to overcome what the Bears' offense can do. That's not going to be the case against the Lions, the Vikings, and the Packers. Right? That defense is going to have to be much better to be able to stem the tide of what the Lions can put out if they're you know at their maximum, what the Packers and what the Vikings can put out. The Bears can't put out very much. And again, Vic Fangio has a better understanding of the Bears' offense than probably any other. Well, I shouldn't say that. Maybe he's spent more time studying us than himself, which would kind of make sense. But whatever. Uh, the Bears are the favorites, which actually makes sense. I would have guessed that. Uh, again, the, the Bears should be the favorites. The Broncos are, are, are not a great team, and, and there's no reason to just assume the Bears are trash, right? So it kind of makes sense. The, in fact, the fact that it's only plus two for Denver is, is kind of shocking, right? I mean, if you look at it and say new head coach who is a defensive-minded guy, Flacco's the quarterback going against the Chicago Bears. I'm guessing if this was like week one, it would be Denver plus, you know, I don't know, three and a half or just something. I don't know. Much bigger number than, than what they're getting. This is this is not, Vegas is not very confident in this at all. So anyways, I think I am going to leave it at that. Um, oh, uh, CBS Pick and Pool. If you guys are in that, make sure you get your picks in quick, quick, quick. Get it done. Fantasy football folks, make sure you set your lineups. I don't want to hear any crying. Oh, I forgot. The only reason you beat me is because I, eh. Let's get it going here. Anyways, you folks enjoy your day. We got football today. Packers are going to beat the Vikings. I'm excited for Victory Monday tomorrow. Have a great day. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.